as we begin. Abba, Father, thank you for your love and grace, the teaching of your word already, how it's brought tremendous conviction on me. And I, I have life in your word, and I thank you for it. I pray that they, everyone here has the same experience that I have, that you're drawing me to you into a deeper faith and a holier uh, trust of you. Please bless in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, it's fascinating. Uh, I do not have a PhD, but I somehow can find things like this. This is Moses doing a selfie. He's just about to split the sea. It's one of the first archaeological selfies ever done. So how do you think that could be cool? Um, and like a typical old man, can I just say that? He doesn't know where the button is. And so he's like, I, I guess that's the right one. I guess that's the right one. So um, poor Moses, it was hard, all those people. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk a little bit about complaining and negativity. <laughs> it's going to be a bad sermon. It's going to be so bad. Uh, can we talk about, just for a second, what's irritating? Anybody struggle with driving? You, it's like a, a part, an ugly part of you comes out when you're driving? We got a few of us? I know Janice does. I've heard her. <laughs> oh, when that woman gets behind the wheel, you know. You may be a, in, like a two-car family. You drive separately and said, like, the best thing to do for peace in your marriage. That's what I drove. Okay, as long as you're in charge, buddy. All right, so we get a lot of complaints and frustration as stress comes out. The ugly comes out driving. Anybody else? What, what, what else is irritating? <laughs> humans, basically just humans. And it's not humans, it's just people. You know, not, not the same. So, Alicia, you decided to come and stay, stay south. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? What's really irritating? What's a struggle? Anybody struggle with the remote to the TV? Is that an issue? Like finding it? Is that an issue? Actually, 78 people live in my house, and somebody <laughs> had that remote at one time. We just don't know where it is. What else is irritating? Taxes. What's that? Taxes. Taxes, yes. Yes. It's a sure thing, death and taxes. Anything else? It's just, ugh. What did you say? Grocery prices. Yeah. Grocery prices, our, our government. Automated phone systems. Oh, don't you love the phone tree? Oh, man. Yeah. I had a, I, I had a challenge recently with one of my, my software programs. It's a big deal. We need to get this done. And if you're on my table, timetable, we're already 30 minutes late. Come on, I gotta get this. I got more stuff to do. I'm booked up, and it's the automated AI thing, and it goes on and on. And finally, got. I need to talk to a human. I need to talk to a human. So I, I, I made the call, and you get that automated. You can say what what uh, your need is, and I will understand it. So why are you calling? Go through all that. Finally, get through, and this is what you. They don't speak English. So, and that was frustrating. Was it pretty good? Hindi? I'm working on my Hindi. So, what's that? Spam calls. Yeah, I probably get about a half dozen a day. And, but I feel empowered when I block it. block your call. Makes me feel really, really powerful. Anybody else? What's irritating? Nothing. I like the human. I think you said human. That's hilarious. So... I want to read to you a series of scriptures about complaining and how Moses dealt with a complaining 
you know, two million group of people. And uh, we want to look at themes and discover the mindset behind the complaint, and then and we'll see what happens. So I just want you to soak it up. I want you to imagine, try to imagine this. It's easily two million people. It could be more. They have seen how many miracles against Egypt? Ten. Big miracles. Right? We're not talking about little coincidences that we claim as miraculous events. Well, I'm just going to pray in Jesus' name that the sun will rise this morning. And it does. And you go, I saw a miracle. The sun rose. No, no, that, that, that's you playing on the laws of physics. We're talking about things happening that bend the laws of physics, that suspend the laws of physics. They saw 10 absolute miracles. What else did they see besides those 10? How about the Red Sea parting? Can you imagine gelatinous walls of water? We don't know how high it was. We assume they were very, very high because when they came crashing down, they destroyed, it destroyed an entire Egyptian army. This is big. This is the big stuff. God did the big thing. So they, they, so they saw all that and they heard the words of Moses. They, they remember the worship service that we covered last, the last time we met? This is the first recorded worship service in the Old Testament. Did you know that? When they cross the Red Sea, the waters come crashing in. It's a flat calm and the bodies of their victims are on the shoreline and floating and all that mess. A worship service breaks out and 600,000 men sing. It's the first recorded worship service of Israel as an organized people group that follows God. It's amazing. Can you imagine the goosebumps upon the goosebumps upon the goosebumps when that K-Love hit came out? That song was sung, right? And then the women, they come in and bring out the tambourines. I mean, amazing worship. They saw, what about the pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day? How's that for a miracle? Okay, do you understand what they've experienced? Big deal. Now listen to this, all right. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. For that reason, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what are we to drink? And then Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet and Israel drank. That's how it started. They, they grumbled and said to Moses, what are we to drink? What are we to drink? That sounds pretty, pretty reasonable, right? Three days without water, big deal. All right, look at this. If you want to follow with me, it's going to be chapter 16 now. This is 16.2. But the whole congregation of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. 
when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. We've gone from, I am so thirsty. Moses, what are we going to drink? Kind of innocent enough, you know? We're really thirsty. You got kids, grandkids, they're all crying. You know, the whole bit, you know, kids are. And, and adults are, and especially cranky old men. You know how they are. They're thirsty, hangry. Okay, but now they're starting, it's getting malicious. On the second event, it's already malicious. And look at this. We were better off in Egypt. We had pots of meat and lots of bread. Hmm. Okay. Verse eight. This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to be full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And Moses says, and what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. But things are, things are taking a turn here. This is really serious. Um, I want to do 17, just a couple of verses there. Another event, and by the way, this is sitting around food and water, food and water, food and water. So again, there's no water. Uh, 17.2, so the people quarreled with Moses. It's getting argumentative. Give us water so that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? It's getting malicious and accusatory. Moses, this whole thing is a scheme and you are intentionally taking us all out here, along with our kids and along with our livestock, to kill us with thirst. Verse 7, 17, 17.7. Then Moses named the place Massah and Merivah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying... Is the Lord among us or not? Soak that one up. Is he here or not? Wow. Wow. Um, if you're following, go to Numbers 11. Numbers records and does a retelling of the Exodus story. So it's really interesting to read Numbers in contrast so Numbers 11, 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity. Did you hear that? The people became like those who complain of adversity in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord heard them and his anger was kindled. Verse 4. Now, by the way, we're going from a few people that speak to Moses and Aaron and complain Verse 4, 11, 4 of Numbers. Now the rabble, now we got a little gang. The rabble who were among them had greedy cravings and the sons of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? 
we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. What is a leek? Tammy, what's, is that even a real thing? It's, a, it's an onion? Ew. Double onions. Who would do that? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a fascinating reference. When the time's right, if the Lord releases me, I want to talk about manna. Uh, but just as a passing comment, we don't have eat. Uh, we don't have eat. We don't have meat. And when we were in Egypt, we used to have all the fish for free. I guess the Egyptians just handed it over, I guess. And we had all these melons. Mm, that's pretty good. Cantaloupe, watermelon, I hope. All those things and leeks and all this stuff. And this is what they say. There's nothing to eat except manna. Now, do you know how manna is described in Psalm 78? It's food from heaven and the bread of angels. Can you imagine sticking your nose up at the bread of angels? That's just like, man, okay. And then it describes manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance was like bdellium. And the people would roam and gather it and grind it and make, and make dough. Uh, look at 12, Numbers 12. Things are spreading, ooh. And has anybody here ever noticed that negativity and complaining is infectious? Yes. Have you noticed that? It's infectious. I'm getting a nod from somebody out there in the, in the cafe area. Now, Miriam and Aaron, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. So Aaron marries a Cushite, and the Cushite's negativity is so infectious that she corrupts and pollutes Aaron. Aaron gets with Sissy, and the two of them gang up on brother, on Moses. It's now a family problem. It's gone from an Israeli problem and now it's getting internal. Verse 3, 12, 3, just a comment. The man Moses was very humble more than any person who was on the face of the earth. Isn't that beautiful? Solomon considered the wisest man on earth and Moses considered the most humble on earth. Just a couple more. Chapter 14, um, 22, uh, certainly all the people have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt, in the wilderness, and yet they have put me to the test these 10 times. It's really interesting, and I, I want you to grab that with your heart. God brought 10 tests onto the Egyptians, and he brought 10 tests onto Israel. And the tests were how they would handle a problem and whether they would complain from a faithless perspective or a faithful perspective in their complaint. And their complaining was so severe and they failed the test that God says they will not enter the land because they were disrespectful to me. One more. In chapter 16, the infection is so vast, it's now systemic. 
it's like it's starting to go septic in Israel. One of the, possibly one of the, the worship leaders, Korah, the son of Itzhar, leads a whole group, a small little, little colony of people, leads them against Moses. And it's, it's going past the food and water issues now. Um, so Korah took some men and they stood before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel. 250, listen to this, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the, in the congregation, the assembly, men of renown. Can you imagine 250 of the best of the best? Men of renown, like your top deacons, your top elders, the best of the best, all right? Korah infected them to the point that they confront Moses and Aaron and they say, you have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly? Do you, th do you think you're the only one that God talks to? Well, this infection's spreading. It's getting deep. That sin that Cor engaged in, I, I won't read it, it's a lengthy a story in chapter 16 was so severe that they were all judged by the Lord with death. It's a horrific story. This is really an, an infectious kind of problem. So what I want to do is just show you some of these scriptures so you can visualize it. And I've highlighted a couple of themes that I think are important to get a hold of. Back at 15, 22, this is about food and water. What are we going to drink? And Exodus 16, 3, if only, if only. Can we, can, we, can we just a little comment about psychology and things? Many of you perhaps have said that very thing, if only. You ready? It's going to get a little ouchy for the next moment or two. If only I had married somebody else. And I know you ladies have thought about that. I know that. Uh, women lead 70%, they drive 70% of the need for marriage counseling, and they drive 70% of the uh, approaches on divorce. Women do. Because women go, I've had enough. I've had enough. If only. If only. How about this one? Anybody ever said this? If only I had a better mom or a better dad. If only my home life could be different. If only my boss. If only my children would obey. You know, Bruce? I've said it to you before. It's not about her. But, uh, <laughs> but I've, said it, I've said it to you before. You know what your response was? It was like, I, I dare I not know. know. If, only, if only I had known, you know, okay. like yeah. you went, well, you might have known it, but you wouldn't have been able to articulate it. You couldn't yeah. have. Yeah. I don't know if that's where you're going, but which is true. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if, let's play with some some Hollywood lingo. If we had a parallel parallel universe, yes. you know, and you, if only you could pick a better one. We're going blonde this time. We're not going to do the whole brunette thing because it didn't work out. And you know, you get to get the blonde or whatever it is, you know, or the new job with the Ferrari. Does it end well? <laughs> no, not at all. We're still. Well, if only I need to go back to the brunette. You know, you get the idea. By the way, your your wife is a little, a little saucy. Chance. 
I, I, got, I got vulnerable and I texted Janice, Janice, Belichick just resigned the Patriots and all this kind of stuff. You should, she was a firebrand in her text toward me. She said, well, I have some Bronco gear you may want to use. I don't think the sandals will look good. I felt that one, Janice. Bruce, if only I had not texted her that time. If only, if only. All right, here we go, Exodus 16. Um, This is a stinger here. The Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And Moses, what, what are we... Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Do you remember the story of the woman? We really don't know much about her background. We conject and kind of piece together a story that she may have been a woman forced into prostitution. It's Luke chapter 7. Simon uh, invites Jesus over. He's a high-level religious leader. He gives him no Mediterranean greeting. There's no kiss. He does not wash his feet. He, he is literally distancing himself from Jesus because he, he perceives him as being unclean. And hanging out with unclean people, but he wants to have dinner with them. Huge contradiction. They have the meal together, and in the meal, this woman comes in, falls down. She's weeping. She washes the feet of Jesus with her tears. She wipes uh, them with her hair. There's, there's perfume. It's a beautiful story in Luke 7. During that exchange, it says, Jesus, knowing the thoughts of Simon... Jesus is a mind reader, (laughs) okay? He's reading Simon's thoughts, and he goes, Simon, I have a question for you. Who loves the most, the one forgiven a little or the one forgiven much? And Simon probably knows what just happened in the the, the spiritual moment, goes, I suppose the one who was forgiven much? And Jesus says, You've answered well. When I came here, how did you greet me? Look at her. Then he looks at the woman and says, Woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus reads minds. The Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. Uh, To the point. Remember we talked about complaining earlier? Irritating kids, kids don't obey, grandchildren that don't listen, uh, can't find the remote. You get behind the wheel, and, and once you're behind the wheel and you're driving, Janice, it's a lot of power. It's a lot of authority. And bless their hearts, no one had better be in your way. In your airspace, in your lane space, Mm. And when we say things through the windshield, not Christian things, the Lord hears it. You kind of think he doesn't, but he does. He hears how we fume and spew. And even if the words are not coming out of our mouths, he reads them in our hearts. The Lord hears your grumblings. 17. That question, they were testing the Lord and they said, is the Lord among us or not? That's theologically, that is huge. That's a big, big deal. 
I, I don't know fully where you are in your journey of faith, but I can tell you, if you can't settle that one, you're in trouble. If you can't settle it up, whether God is with you or God is gone, he left the room or something, if you can't settle that one up, your faith is in trouble. It's that serious. He's either with you or he's not. Now, what does the Apostle Paul do with that idea? If he's with us, he's always with us. And if he's for me, he's not against me. And then Paul takes it one step farther. If he's against me, I have no need to be afraid of anybody or anything. The Lord is for us who can be against us, right? Numbers 11, 1. How's this for getting at it? They became people like those who complain of adversity. Have you ever met anybody who were so psychologically, emotionally, and mentally so insecure they had to compensate with authority and control? They were so emotionally immature and so psychologically malformed that the only way to handle the stress of the day is to be a control freak the only way, right? And so they control everything. And when it gets out of the tr control, ooh, boy, the wrath can come out. That's the kind of person who would be commonly described as someone who complains of adversity. You know why? Because they don't get their way. And they complain about it. You don't cook right, you don't clean right, people don't drive right, the weather's not right. What's up with Arkansas weather anyway? You know, How much snow are you gonna get? Zero to 82 inches. <laughs> How do we dress? Flip-flops, shorts, wool. You don't know. Israel became like people who complain of adversity after all the miracles that they had seen. Yeah. Numbers 11. We used to eat fish for free in Egypt. Man. And the whole cucumber and leek thing. The cucumbers are really good. Um, and then if only. How about, how about this for negativity? If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Anything's better than being out here with God in the woods. We just died in the land of Egypt. And then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Wow. And then God saying, hey, you put me to the test 10 times. 10 is significant in Israeli history. Then Korah's rebellion. All right, let's look at this. Here's, here's a graph to kind of get at the idea of what we're, we're, we're talking about here. The problem is it's typically hunger and thirst. It's a, it's a survival issue. And I'm well aware of neuroanatomy and, and, and neuropsychology that when you hit a level of hunger or a level of thirst, the brain shifts. It shifts from executive function, the smartest part of your brain, front lobes begin to shut down and you become more primal, more primal and more aggressive as the hunger goes on and the thirst goes on. We nickname it hangry, it's real, all right? I got it. But Israelis, the Israeli perspective is it's time to complain and exaggerate. You've taken us out here to die. <laughs> That's such a total exaggeration. 
you know, it's, it's assuming motive and all kinds of horrible, malicious things, right? But from God's perspective, hey, it's time to test my people to see, see if they will trust me. Whole thing's a test. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. The whole thing's test. Who's faithful? Who trusts? Well, how can I trust God if I'm not even sure if he's here? He could be gone and we don't know it and we're stuck with you, Moses. That'd be awful. We're going to die in the woods. You know. Where's God? You know. Testing, one, two, three. Here's another way to look at it. We've got this problem. And then it moves into faithless complaint. In that faithless complaint, there's this comparing of God and Moses against Egypt and greedy. I, need, I just want to make a quick comment. There's a difference between greedy cravings and needs. There's a bit of a difference there. And then there's this realization of testing. You know, Moses goes, Oh my goodness, you guys are driving me nuts. And he goes to God, God, what am I going to do? These people, and yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's water, water, water. And Moses is crying and he's upset. And God says, All right, I want you to to do this, this, this. And all of a sudden there's miraculous provision of water. And and Moses comes out and says, God was testing you. And Israel goes, Okay, we see it now. We get it now. Okay, everybody drink up. Okay, okay, we got water. God was just testing us. <laughs> he was just testing us. And they drank and they drank and they bring in all the lives that they drank. And, whew, wow. All right. They realized there was a test. And that cycle looped so much that it resulted in provision. It may have been granted. It may have been delayed. And for many Israelis, it was denied. Forfeiture. Forfeiture. Testing. One, two, three. You're not passing the test. You know. Can I ask a quick question? Do you think God kind of pops us back to like first grade until we get it and then graduates to second grade? Do you think he does that? Anybody? Like, hey, okay, we need to go back and relearn that core lesson. Okay, and then the next, you think he does that? I kind of think he does. You know, it's like, come on, Chris. Didn't you settle up years ago that I really am with you and nothing will separate me and you? Okay, buddy, we're going back. Let's go back. Let's, let's go back. We're fourth grade for you. Let's start it again. I think he kind of does that. It takes me back to these places that are going to relearn lessons that I had mastered 20 years ago, 40 years ago. And I got to relearn them. Yeah. The more lessons I fail to remember and master, there's a tendency that my provision is delayed or denied. Ouch. The, the, the more Chris moves away from faith, the more I move away from trust. And the more Satan, talk about infection, infects me with this idea. If only. There was a poor Jewish carpenter from Nazareth named Yeshua. Jesus. Ready? He went 40 days. Right? And he's out there in the wilderness where there's nothing. By the way, have you ever seen the wilderness in Israel and, and what like the sand and the sandstone looks like? The color? Anybody know what the color's like? 
it's this tannish, camel tannish, brownish, everywhere, like everywhere. Can you imagine seeing a round stone in that? What is it going to look like? A wonderfully well-baked loaf of bread. Look, oh, honey, you didn't burn the top this time. It's great. Ooh, look at that. And Satan goes, hey, make these stones become bread. I know you're starving. 40 days. Ooh. If only, if you were the son of God, if only you really were the son of God, make these stones become bread. And you, you know the story. If only, if only, if only. The differences between me and Jesus is he knew it was a test. He never doubted it was a test and he never doubted the goodness of his father. He never doubted the mission. And so he was able to control himself. And there was tremendous provision. So, all right, Christchurch, complain. An infectious spirit of negativity. The inability to see the hand of God in the normal day-to-day routine of getting the kids fed, changing the diapers, driving to work, facing traffic, all the stuff that is normally characteristic of our lives. Are you finding yourself drawn into this mindset that you're like the kind of people that would complain about adversity? What can we do as followers of Jesus to get out of the trap and be more like Jesus and trust our Father? What can we do? You're the church. What do we do? I think I try to view everything from the eternity mindset. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this might be annoying now, you know, and I'd like to think I'll laugh at it. You know, for a couple hundred years, you know, kind of a thing. So try to try to think long term rather than you know um, what's happening in the moment. Not that I'm good at it. Not that I remember every time. But yeah. you know, when when my <coughs> more reasonable side, you know, takes control again, I can kind of you know put it in perspective. You know, does does that person cut me off really matter in the in the long run? I'm not the guy who can go, oh, they must have an emergency. I'm, I don't think that, but I do think nothing's gained by me getting irritated. Nothing's gained by me, you know, trying to close the gap so they can't. You know, nothing's gained by that. In long term, it just makes me look like an a-hole to the you know, big guy. So, yeah. like, why would, yeah. I, why would I want a, a short-term, you know, yeah. Yeah. scratch itch versus long-term, you know, yeah. ownership, you know, like that? Joe, that's so insightful because that's what Paul saw. Paul Paul managed to see it from an eternal perspective. So he writes in Romans 8.18, I'm convinced that our present suffering won't even compare against the glory that's going to be. What's it like to be married to a man like that? Isn't that amazing? What an amazing guy. Joe, you nailed it. Somebody else, how do we do this stuff? How do we live it out? Yes, Emma. Yeah, Emma, that is brilliant. Um, I'm assuming you guys know this. You see, don't it'll be, it'll be fun to talk about this. Did you know that your brain does not have the ability to concentrate on that which is negative and positive at the same time? Do you know that? I do a fun little experiment with when I see people. I, uh, I ask them, I say, okay, what I want you to do is think of a wonderful childhood story that you just know really well, like Goldilocks and the Three Bears and the Three Little Pigs or something like that. 
and I give him a notepad and I said, I want you to handwrite that story like, once upon a time there were three little pigs and the first little pig, and that's the basic story. And I said, while you're writing that though, I want you to tell me the, st- the time, the story when you fell off your bike when you were seven. So I want them to write one story, but tell me another at the same time. Guess what happens? Can't be done. We can't do it. Your brain does not have that ability to, to, to do that. Two verbal tasks that are unrelated, you cannot do at the same time. And so they end up saying, uh, I let them start once upon a time. Give them a head start. So once upon a time. Then they go, okay, uh, and they stop writing. When I was seven, I had this bike. There was. And um, somebody yelled at me and I turned around. Oh, and, um, and, and I turned around and I lost control of the bike and all of a sudden started falling. And the Can't do it. So from a therapy standpoint, Emma, you nailed it. When you take a pen and paper and start writing out what you're happy about and what you're grateful for, it heals the mind. It's healing. And that's if you battle acute depression, uh, general anxiety disorder, a variety of issues, just writing out by hand, not on your phone, not on your laptop, by hand, what is good and right and positive about your life. It's really, really healing. Yeah. And by the way, if you think, you know, if only I had dated that blonde, you know, if you're there, take that piece of paper and pen and start writing out what's good and wonderful about your wife or your husband, or those children that you think are driving it bonkers. You start doing that and it heals the mind and your attitudes can greatly improve. Okay, somebody else. So we're gonna be grateful. We're gonna have an eternal perspective. So we're not gonna fall into the trap of the temporal. Paul writes a lot about that, Michael. I was just uh, thinking that in any time that I've gone through this, this little cycle, Generally, after whatever incident happened, the first thing is my emotions. Meaning? Just absorbing and understanding the situation. But you have to get past it because yeah. that is not your rational response. Yeah. yeah. And so like you were talking about, uh, you were quoting something Paul said where yeah. it was just nice and lovely flowers. He didn't have... 0.5 seconds to come up with that answer. He had a little bit of time to sit there and think about it, which means he wasn't writing that in his emotion for whatever struck uh, that chord that made him write it. You know, there was time to sit there and think about it. We need to apply that in everything we do. Our, our, our emotional response is almost always going to get us in trouble. Yeah. Um, but the emotion's there to tell us something's going yeah. So we can't ignore it. We can't become robots. We just need to learn how to understand what our emotion is telling us. Mm. Then get out of that, that mindset and move into reality. That's so good, Michael. There's a ton of wisdom in that. So much. Quick comment. We're going to tie this off. Let me explain something. Let's apply this to marriage. You can apply it anywhere, but it's just easy right now for marriage. So you, you're an unhappy wife. Right? And you're complaining to your husband 
and it's getting vitriolic. We're not just saying, gee, you know, I asked you to wash the car a week ago. We're, we're, we're getting ugly, okay? So she is going on and on and on and on, right in this guy's case, about washing the car, and he's getting bowed up about it, and she's angry, and, and it's an unhappy moment in the marriage. And she's, she's just bitter. How many times do I have to ask you to wash the car? So finally, guess what? He gets up and he washes the car, thinking it would make her happy. Does it make her happy? No, not at all. Like the thing you've been demanding, the thing that you want, once you get it, you're not happy anyway. What's going on? Now that's a deep dive psychologically. The thing you complain about, when you finally get it, you'll still find something wrong with it. It becomes a part of who you are. You're actually your core identity. And you can take a good thing and spin it to the negative just like that. Complain about having a dirty car. Complain, complain, complain. And you get it and it's like, well, I don't care how it looks now anyway. Just so mad. You know. You're right, Michael. Got to get in the right headspace. Truth over emotion. So important. Anybody else? Yeah, Joe? It's more of a question. This might not be the time or the place, but I've, over the years, you know, just understanding where we are in time and then what, you know, contemporary times for them, I've never been able to reconcile. I've landed on one possible solution, but I've never been able to reconcile. These people walk through a dry riverbed. These people watch firstborn of a, of a people get married. I mean, God-like things happen right in front of their face. And they were very willing at the drop of a hat to give, you know, like give that up. And I think the Bible makes it clear when God's making somebody's hard heart. I don't remember reading that about this people. You know, hard-headed maybe, but not, you know, unwilling to accept facts. But now we are running straight faith. You know, I'm not seeing the Arkansas River stand on its side mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not seeing these grand miracles happen. But at times I feel like maybe we have more faith than they did. And I don't know, have you ever thought about that? Like, mm-hmm. why Why were they so ready to stop believing in God? Even as, as the Old Testament proceeds, you know, they, hey, this God sounds great. Has he ever done anything that you can quantify? No, but everyone around us. You right, know, a golden calf. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Have you ever thought about what's the difference between now and then? Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit's the only difference I can think of. Justin, you want to comment? I was just going to say, I think we have less faith. Or, I'm I'm not sure. I know that the Holy Spirit, He indwells, He sustains, and that's a new covenant thing. But, I mean, how many times? Well, I guess I think, when's the last time that I have listened to God telling me to walk into the wilderness with no food and water and trust that he'll provide for me and my family. I just cannot, like, really? Actually? Now, at the same time, of course, is this complaining, like, are they, are they doubting their faith? Yes. I just wonder if, they, if we have the same faith struggle. And the miracles of God are all around us, and we can't see it. That's just the Lord's Supper there. That's just a bit of bread and, and wine. God's not really interacting with me today. You know, we have this sense that God is gone. You know, and I just think, I wonder, 
if we have the same faith struggle. That's so good, Justin. Um, thank you. Uh, by the way, I think you and Annie did a really big faith gesture. Yeah. Here's, here's what I mean. I'm not sure all of us here at Christ Church, there's a few I think that can, can understand the depth and the magnitude of Justin's work ethic and what it took for him to be credentialed out like he is, to top it off with a PhD out of one of the, the toughest and best universities in the world. Under, one of the, under the elite scholar in the world on Paul. What, what this guy, the price he paid. All right. He leaves a significant small post out of Alberta, Three Hills, to come to Little Rock. And guess what? Guess what's laid out before him? Nothing. <laughs> so you did have a big faith gesture. You did. Now the Lord provided. He provided something at Baptist Hospital and you're flourishing and everyone. I know they're going to really regret your departure. Um, and now he's got another little mini Red Sea moment, and that's the end of the month. He'll be doing the final round of testings of uh, evals and interviewing at Washington Baptist University to be there, uh, possibly the New Testament uh, professor. Big deal, big deal. But you're also to the point, Joe, we are, we are not engaging in a life or death dynamic. Uh, a people group, two million, three million. You know, can you imagine sanitation issues, food service issues, water service issues, livestock issues with that many people without a city with an infrastructure? That's really, really tough. And to move them through a wilderness and dealing with potentially enemy nations, all these things. So we realize the Exodus story is far and above the stress load of Chris Perry driving to the clinic office on Monday morning. No way they're on the same level. No way. But, but, Joe, you're onto something because in root motive and heart motive, I can have a horrific day because of traffic and it exposes the faithless tendencies in me just like an Israeli who witnessed all the big miracles which were fascinating and then and, and completely doubt. So there's parallels and then there's a, a lot of very contrasting realities to those, to those two things. Everybody turn to Second Peter. I want you to see this. Second Peter. And I hope, Joe, based on what you've shared, that this will really be encouraging for, for all of us. Second Peter chapter 1. And I love First and Second Peter because this is the writing of a man who failed. Can you appreciate that? This is the guy that committed the big nasty, right? He really, really messed up. So this is the writing of a man who committed the most horrific sin, his restoration, and now as a restored man with all the scars and all the regrets, he writes to the churches. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it reads as follows. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, Joe, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Can you get your mind around that? Bruce Trice, you've received a faith 
of the same kind as Peter. Of all the kids in the youth group, mouthy as they are, he got out of the boat. He walked on the water. The others wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Jesus called him and a few others up on the mountain to see the transfiguration. Bruce Trice has the same faith, kind of faith, as Peter. If you look into that word, the word in, in Greek literally means to be of the same nature, kind, quality, essence. All of you here, if you're born again, you have the same stuff that the apostles did. Wow. I think about that a lot. If we're the Imago Dei. Yeah, in the image of God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Justin, you hit you hit something that was so core that even and, and Justin, quite frankly, he exposed a lot of what's in us. These are symbolic things. Jesus is the light, all symbol of righteousness. Bread and a little wine, right? Service, washing feet, servants' attitude, fruit of the spirit, love joy, all this stuff. Is God with us or is he gone? That was the questions Israel asked. Is he even here, Moses? Come on. What's going on? And we can take this bread and wine, this grape juice, and we can act as though kind of what we do toward the end of the service. Almost over. I get to go home. But if God were, was here, in a real, real and tangible way. And we envision Jesus. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. The, the new covenant. When we would take the Lord's Supper, Mary would be a different motive, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So. So if God is testing Israel again and again, and all the stuff that they complained about is the very stuff that's on the test. Did you hear what I just said? The stuff we complain about is the stuff that's on the test. Then maybe we should change our perspective. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for and the proof of things not seen. For by it, the people of old gained approval. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. That is the test. Are you going to be God seekers or are we going to be self seekers? John writes in chapter 3 of a man who evidently was embarrassed to come to Jesus by day, has to come by night, certainly high-ranking Jewish leader. His name is Nicodemus. He doesn't understand the gospel Christ teaches. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen. And you people do not accept our testimony. But if I told you earthly things and you do not believe... How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? If you can't get the first grade stuff, why do you think you're going to get the college stuff? 
No one, or rather, the one has ascended into heaven. The only one who's done that is Jesus. He who descended from heaven is the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If you do not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never know. You will be denied entrance into the promised land known as heaven. You'll be denied entrance. But if you believe, as Paul writes in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's faith. If you're not sure what faith is, you're putting your... 100 pound, 200, 300 pound frame in those chairs. And you don't worry that they're going to buckle and you're going to crash. You're completely relaxed on that chair. That's faith. You're trusting the chair to support the weight of your body. Can we trust the Lord to support the weight of our souls? Can we do that? Yeah. I want to pray over us right now. Father, there's so many things we complain about. And we've got a list of wrongs suffered a mile long. Abba, Father, forgive us for trying to be our own gods, for trying to use and weaponize control as a way to deal with our own emotional maturity, immaturity and our own malformations in our minds and how we perceive things. God, I pray that we repent we change our mind, we change our ways, we turn around and we come back to you. And we see hunger and thirst as something not to fight about, but hunger and thirst as something that prompts us and literally motivates us to seek you. Abba, Father, thank you for your, your teaching, your word. Thank you for this amazing church and the encouragement that they bring. I pray that those online would listen and understand and they would take a step of faith to know your son is Lord and Savior. Abba, Father, thank you. We, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.